0: We are all done.
1: Next hymn, number 760. 760, Who Will Follow Jesus? I'll sing the first, second, and fourth verse.
2: Who will follow Jesus, standing for their mind?
0: Holding up his banner in the thick sky. Lest before his orders may he do your her body. turning in.
1: scripture reading for tonight comes from Acts chapter 11 and verse 26 Acts chapter 11 verse 26 and when he had found him he brought him into Antioch and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch let's pray this time our gracious heavenly father would you thank you so much for the day you've blessed us with father for the way you take care of us day after day and that you help us through the things that we face and the diseases that we get and and the different things that we have to experience and whether it be family or friends or neighbors or job or whatever it may be father we're just so thankful that you're there for us we're thankful for brother nathan this morning and his lesson on on the promises that that you have made to us and that we can go to you for our peace in times when we don't understand what's going on, Father, that you've given us that opportunity to, to pray to you as we're doing now to express our needs and our desires and show our lack of uh, uh, perfectness to you, Father. And Father, would you pray your forgiveness for the sins we commit, for the things we say that we shouldn't, for the ways that we maybe act that we shouldn't and just the many different things that some of us face that we just pray that you'll always be with us and forgive us as you promised father through your son and his blood father we just pray for terry diamond tonight and his family father at this time in the situation that he he's in and will be in and as others of the congregation that have lost their their husband or wife father we just realize that's not an easy thing to go through and and we do pray for him and, and, and his family. Father, we do pray for others that are seriously ill, that you'll bless them, those that are going to have to have surgeries for cancer and those having treatments for cancer and, and for Brother Jerry and, and the treatment he may have for his heart. We just pray you'll bless Jerry Fry, that you'll bless him and the things that he finds out this week. Father, we're thankful for the congregation here. We're thankful for every member. We're thankful, Father, for the Hustle family that placed membership today. Father, we just pray your blessings on them as, and as we all try to work together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, we're thankful for each member here for, ever, for, the, for the work that goes on against, with all the members and just everything that you've allowed us to, to do as a group. We're thankful for your word that set us up as this family, as brothers and sisters. And we pray that that will always be the case. We can always love one another, show our love for one another. Father, we do just pray that you will continue to, to help us, help us tonight through our worship, be with Brother Rick and his lesson as he presents it to us. Father, we're just thankful for the men that are willing to, to preach your word and teach your word, and we're just thankful for your word. We're thankful for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Okay, if you would, let's please stand, and we'll sing hymn number 599. 599. Stand er, Stepping in the Light. Not standing on the promises we said that this morning. <clears throat> stepping in the Light. We'll sing the first, second, and fourth verse of this hymn. The invitation to him for this evening will be number 337, 337, is our heart right with God. Brother Rick.
3: Good evening. Someone said this was up above my head last time, and it was distracting them, so I'll at least pull it down to my forehead level. For a group like this, a question like this might seem a little strange. Um, We're all familiar uh, with what a Christian is. Many of us are such, have been for a long time. But I want to talk about a little bit about how this word came about and a little bit about what we have done to that word um, over the periods of time since uh, there were first Christians named. Um, Historically speaking, uh, obviously, it was taken from the name of Christ, Jesus uh, Christ, and then they just added the, the adherent to that, that individual as the latter part of the name. Um, originally, it, uh, my understanding is it was used negatively to uh, make fun of these people who followed Christ. It was not uh, a name of honor at all, at least intended by those who used it um, and um, if they actively opposed uh, the emperor in Rome just, not, just by more than just carrying out their, their beliefs. Um, this was one of the reasons that they started calling them this name and using it in a, in a rather derisive way. Um, Antioch, I am told, a historian says, had a reputation for coming up with such nicknames for various groups. And I, can't, I don't even have an example, another example to give you. ...and I'll just uh, report that um, as is... ...and we'll talk about Antioch in a minute. Also, uh, they were called the Nazarenes. When Paul was uh, arrested... um, ...when he had declared himself to um, appeal to Rome... ...there was an argument made. Tertullus was, was making the claims against him... ...and said that he was of the sect of the Nazarenes. So it could be that they were also known as Nazarenes. However... We also know that a person from Nazareth uh, was also called a Nazarene, but being the home, uh, not the birthplace, but the home of Jesus, maybe this is why uh, the, the Nazarene um, name came in as well. And then lastly, Paul himself, in, in two different places, in Acts the ninth chapter, where uh, it the um His situation on the road to Damascus is described in in real time. Luke is telling what happened. And then later in Acts 22, 4, when Paul is recounting what happened to him, um, he uses those that he was persecuting as the way or as this way. So there are other uh, ways that people can refer to those early Christians and, and did refer to those early Christians who were followers of Christ. In the non-Christian literature outside of the Bible, we have individuals who's just mentioned today, Josephus, in the latter part of the first century, um, talked about, and this is a quote from him, the tribe of Christians so named from him. And he was talking about uh, Jesus Christ at that point. Uh, Tacitus, toward the end of the first century, said this, by vulgar appellation, and I think that means by making fun of them, they were commonly called Christians. Um, he also identified the Christians as the one that Nero blamed for the great fire of Rome. Pliny the Younger, uh, another um, non, I think non-Christian uh, writer, in his correspondence with the Emperor Trajan at that point said uh, that there is considerable pressure on Christians to deny him and uh, talked about the persecutions that were taking place there. And this is an interesting statistic that I had never seen before. Historians tell us that during the first and second centuries, that first century, A.D. 33 or thereabouts, when the church was established on the day of Pentecost, all the way through the end of that first century and into and maybe all the way through the second centuries, that every decade, every ten years, the church grew by 40%. That's pretty impressive. Say we're back to 200 strength. In the next 10 years, we would go from 200 to 280. Is that right? 40%? Um, Phenomenal growth. And what what that implies also is, is, if this is true, is that once you grow that 30% for the first decade, you add another 40% onto that, total, not the original, onto the total. You're now at 280, and 40% of 280 is another decade of 40% growth, and that just uh, compounds that way. So you can see that in the first and second centuries, Christians were um, an influence. They were certainly to be something considered, and it's not only the first and centuries, second centuries. Here we are today, um, many centuries later still, worshiping the Son of God as Christians. So modern times, uh, we use the word, I'm putting it in air quotes here, Christian uh, Christians, um, and I'm going to be using that accommodatively or as the world uses it over the next few minutes and then make some distinctions about, about that. Pew Research Center says that there are 2.2 billion Christians around the world America has 37% of those. Europe has 26%. Uh, the northern part, the southern part of Africa has 24%. Asia-Pacific area has another 13 And the northern part of Africa uh, and the Middle East is uh, only 1%. And that's how those 2.2 billion um, Christians uh, break out around. There are several, uh, there are the majority in 158 countries around the world doesn't mean that they're all Christians, um, at least so designated, but it does mean that in 158 countries around the world, they are the majority uh, religion there. Uh, Catholics, uh, the world over, um, 50%. uh, Protestants, 37%. um, Orthodox communions, I don't even know what those are, 12%. uh, And then the other uh, would be the rest of, of that percentage, not much. An estimate, by 2050, Christians are, ex- are expected to exceed 3 billion around the world and also still remain the world's largest uh, religion. Um, so that's there's still substantial growth, still, still substantial interest in uh, what the Bible has to say and in becoming uh, a Christian. I don't know if any of that is, is accurate or not. That's what's being reported Uh, out there right now sometimes we get down and we think that nobody's interested in the bible anymore um, and we lose our energy for talking to others about what's in the bible people haven't changed people are still the same the gospel story still influences people touches people's hearts and they become christians so what are the biblical references to Christians? The one that uh, John just read in Acts 11, 26, Peter is testifying about what took place with, with Cornelius in Acts the 10th chapter, the just, just the previous chapter. And he's talking about, uh, you know, I had this vision and I went and, and uh, they believed and were baptized and um, the Holy Spirit fell on them the same way he fell on us. And so this was causing quite a stir in the um, Jewish Christian community. Those individuals who the, the sermons were first preached at uh, at Jerusalem and then spread out from there, and they were all, or mo- many of them, were Jews that had become uh, Christians, but yet they still hung on to some of their Jewish ways of thinking. And this this uh, advent of adding uh, Gentiles, they should have known about. It was it was. Prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus talked about it. It it shouldn't have surprised them, but they they resisted a little bit. In the 15th chapter, the council at Jerusalem is is discussing that issue. Uh, I don't know how much later than Acts 11 that was, but they were still discussing it uh, at that point. So Peter's testifying uh, to them there in Jerusalem about Cornelius. The gospel had spread in the previous verses there, 19 to 22, um, and the Jerusalem leaders, if, if it's the same ones as they talk about later, James, the brother of Jesus, was one of those. Um, maybe it was the elders of the Jerusalem church there, um, sent Barnabas to Antioch to find out you know, what, what, was, what was going on up there. And he goes to Tarsus to retrieve Saul. Saul has been gone, I believe, uh, memory serves it correctly, about three years. And... Uh, Jesus has been preparing him for what he has to face as he carries out uh, Jesus uh, and God's will concerning taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And so when Paul and Barnabas come back to uh, Antioch, they came and stayed there for about a year. They met with the church. They taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This may be... I always read that as something very positive. Ah, they've adopted a name, and this is the one that's going to stick. If what we heard earlier about it being a term of derision and spite, uh, then maybe the Antioch folks were not as, as noble as, as I might have been thinking. I don't know which it was. This is a statement straight from the Bible. They were first called Christians uh, at Antioch, and then it spread from there. Acts 26, 28. Paul is before, in this time when he's been arrested and is put on trial, he goes and testifies before Felix in chapter 24 in Festus. Uh, the, the, I think that was Felix's replacement in 25. And then Fe- Festus takes him to King uh, Herod Agrippa in chapter 26. And so Paul is talking to both Festus and Agrippa at that point. And here's what he says what it says about that. And while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. All he had done was just t- told him about the gospel story, about Jesus and that. And he's saying, you're mad, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but utter words of sober truth. For the king, Agrippa... ...knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence... ...since I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. So he puts Agrippa there in the spotlight and says... These things were prophesied. I'm telling you, they have happened. You believe those prophets, aren't you, being a Jew? And here's what Agrippa says. In a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul says, I would to God that neither, whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, But all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul wanted everyone to become a follower of Jesus, to become a Christian. And here he is testifying um, in the latter part, very, very latter part of his life, before they send him on to Rome. Um, And he ends up dying there. Um, I think... The next, very next verse, they counsel about him and saying, why is he even here? If he hadn't appealed to Rome, he would be a free, a free man now. But now we've got to go through this. and Now we've got to send him to Rome. That uh, statement, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. What do you think the tone of that was? I always read it. <laughs> you think you're going to persuade me to be a Christian, Paul? You are mad, in other words, in Festus' language up above. But it could be that when Paul points him out and says, you believe the prophets, they testified that this was going to happen, and now it has happened. You believe the prophets, don't you? It could be that something clicked in Festus, and he goes, hmm, maybe you'll, be, you'll uh, persuade me to become a Christian, Paul. We have no record that he did. More than likely, he did not. Um, we don't have, like we say, the, the uh, Herods were, were not good people. And so um, we don't have any follow-up on that. But I'm, I don't know whether his tone was, was indicting, derision, contemplative, reflective, um, almost giving in, but he does say, I would God. No, he says, in a short time, will you persuade me to be a Christian? And he uses the term there. Um, in the 26th chapter of Acts. Then in 1 Peter 4, certainly by the time Peter writes, uh, writes his uh, letters, he is using the term as well. It says, Beloved, uh, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. That's the persecution that they were undergoing. He says, Which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. You should not be surprised. Jesus said... Those who follow me will not have houses to live in. The birds have their nests. The foxes have their their dens. Follow me is a sacrifice. And he never said it was going to be easy, and it certainly wasn't for those early Christians. All sorts of persecutions fell upon them. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. By no means let any of you be or suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler or anything like that. That the civil authorities have to get involved. He says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him feel not ashamed, but in that name, Christian, let him glorify God. So that name is an important name. It is through that name, through our acts in this life where we represent that name, that we glorify God, according to 1 Peter four sixteen. There are two types of suffering in the uh, New Testament. There's general suffering that we of all humans, we as humans, all of us suffer, and then there's the suffering of Christ. And uh, if you go back and look at that, most uh, by far of those uh, mentions, uh, mentionings of suffering are suffering as a Christian, the cost it's going to uh, take on us to follow Him. So, proper use of the word Christian. Who qualifies? Who qualifies for that name that glorifies God? I would say a believing, repentant, baptized confessor. And it's born out in these these five steps or or, uh, things that we have to do to become a Christian. We have to hear the testimony about Jesus. We have to believe that account and its impact on us and our sins and what kind of uh, condition that puts us in. We have to repent of our sins. We have to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and we have to be baptized for the remission of sins and live a faithful life after. It is possible to lose that salvation that we just achieved by having our sins forgiven. So we have to be diligent. We have to continue to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, he says, I think in uh, Matthew 10, is it, where he says, or John 10, I'm not sure, that if you won't confess me before your fellow man, I will not confess you before my Father which is in heaven. So we have to continue to live up to that name by continuing to confess him and profess him and teach about him throughout our lives. Now, there are passages for all of those. You have heard those. If you haven't heard those, see me afterward, and we'll sit down and we'll go through all these passages. But that is the pattern that we find in the New Testament for how one becomes a child of God, a Christian. So these questions. Are there any other qualifications? I can't think of any. If you do those five things you will be a Christian if you're sincere about them. And repentance suggests sincerity. Repentance is a change of heart and a change of action. And those both ought to be uh, in evidence. So are there any other qualifications? Uh, Is anyone who hasn't done these things rightly called a Christian? Would Scripture, would Jesus, Paul, Peter... James, any of the others call someone who hadn't done these things that place you into the body, into Christ, and become a Christian, would they call anyone who hadn't done that a Christian? I think that's a rhetorical question. I don't think, I don't think they would. So here's a proposition. Do not cheapen or denigrate the term Christian by using it to suggest or indicate anyone who happens to, say loosely, follow his teachings. Repentant, confessing, baptized believers are Christians. That's how the Bible uses that term. There was a time during the uh, Reformation, uh, back around the turn of the 20th century, early 1900s, When there was a movement to get back to doing things according to Scripture, mankind had gone off in a bunch of different directions. And Alexander Campbell and a bunch of um, Moses uh, Laird, 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 one of those two, um, and a bunch of others uh, got together and talked about this. And they, this was one of the catchphrases they used: "Call Bible things, Bible names." They also said, "Speak where the Bible speaks." and keep silent where the Bible is silent. And that was a, that was a uh, I guess you could call it a landmark movement. Uh, many people returned back to the pattern for worship and living and doing a bunch of other things that you find in the Bible that they had corrupted or changed or added to in a variety of ways. So, if the world wants to call itself and others Christians, then so be it. We don't have to. Those statistics that we talked about up above, 2.2 billion worldwide, so forth, we can refer to them as believers. They may be believers that Jesus is the Son of God. They may be adherents to um, what they find um, taught, at least in some ways, in the Bible. They might be followers of Christ. It does not make them. Christians, that's reserved for those who have undergone what the Bible tells us you have to undergo to become one. Church of Christ uh, data is out there. If we want to say that, well, we know that most churches of Christ or people who use that name believe in that process, that five-step process for becoming a Christian. Let's just say that all churches of Christ um, are faithful and do that, We know that there are some who use that name that don't adhere to the pattern that we find there. But let's just say that Romans 16, 16 says the churches of Christ salute you. So we adopt that name. Uh, It's scriptural. Um, We could also potentially be accurate and be called a family of God, a church of God, because I think those are phrases that are used of God's people as well. But churches of Christ Salute you. And if you look at the Church of Christ data, 2022 data, approximately 2 2 million with 40,000 congregations worldwide. Again, I don't know that all of them are faithful. I don't know all of them follow the pattern that's found here. But if you just go to Churches of Christ, this is what you'll find. I don't know why we don't have more updated information, but in 2008, 1.3 million um, were here in the United States with the average group uh, numbering about 100. Some very large, many very small, averaging about 100. My dad had a bugaboo about this. He, uh, he said the word Christian's a noun. He was an English teacher, and he said the word Christian's an noun. That's the only way it's used in Scripture. That's the only way we should be using it. I'm not that adamant. But we do know that uh, words change. There's no example in scripture of it being used any other part of speech other than a noun. But we do know that words get get changed from a noun to a verb or a verb to a noun or an adjective. I heard the other day someone got primaried means that they were in the seat, more than likely, of a, a representative or a senator. And because of a stance they took or something like this, they got primaried out. They got beaten by one of their own party in the primary. So a primary is a noun. They got primaried. Uh, that was, that's a verb. I've heard, I heard adulting the other day. <laughs> it's, it's being adult. Being an adult. I don't, never, I don't use that. Gaslighting is another term that's come into use recently. Google is the one that, that popped up in my head right here toward the end. That used to be, a, um, I guess, a site on the internet where you could look up stuff. But now we have converted that to, well, why don't you, I said that to Cy this morning. I said, why don't you Google that? And so it is, that has become a verb. I don't know if Christians can be used as an adjective, but we often refer to the United States of America as a Christian nation. Is it? Is it a Christian nation? We'll look at some statistics in just a second. A Christian university. They teach... The precepts of the Bible, so if that's what's allowing us to uh, designate them as Christians, I'm assuming that many of the people there are Christians. Does it have to be all of them or two-thirds of them or what? I, I don't know. Other clubs or organizations, the Knights of Columbus, the Gideons, all good organizations, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, use that term. Are all of them Christians based on what we have said just before this? In our nation, Protestants count for 46.5%, Catholic 208 Those who are unaffiliated with anything fall into the second slot there at, at almost 23%. And then you can see these others there as to how they distribute across our population. Are we a Christian nation? Not according to the definition that we talked about a while ago of what it takes to become a Christian all I'm saying is we need to be selective about how we use this term. Inaccurate generally and certainly inaccurate from a biblical definition standpoint. To summarize, Christian is not a word used loosely or generically for so-called believers in Jesus in, in the Bible. And it's a rather specific term reserved for those who qualify. What the, who has done what they need to become a Christian. People can be erring Christians up to the point where, as we talked about in the class this morning, about being up to the point where God spews them out uh, of his mouth, turns his back on them, turns them over to their uh, degrading lusts, as one verse tells us. But they still are Christians up until they're not going to be a Christian anymore. Call Bible things by Bible names. Satan starts with our vocabulary until it infilts our brains and our behavior. Those first four there women's health, freedom to choose, reproductive rights, and bodily autonomy are euphemisms, milder terms for a very serious action called abortion. And if they make it sound innocuous or uh, unoffensive enough, by giving it these kind of terms, then they don't have to defend it as much. Gender-affirming care or support, those who want to become another gender and say they are and people say they are, that's gender-affirming care and support. And there's all sorts of research coming out now that um, this this is not only wrong-headed, it's dangerous. Another subject, obviously, undocumented immigrants. Used to be illegal aliens, but they found that too offensive, so now they call them undocumented immigrants. And then finally, hate speech. Hate speech is something that uh, many people use this way. I don't like what you're saying. It offends me. Therefore, it's hate speech and gets classified as such, and you, all sorts of things can, can happen to you, depending on where you are, Uh, at the time and what your employment is and so they label label it hate speech when it's just another opinion or it's what I believe or it's it's a reality for me vocabulary is important how we use words uh, is important so be selective in how you use this precious designation if you are not a Christian um, this evening that should be the end of that. So if you want to go ahead and shut that off, that would be fine. Um, Not a Christian this evening. Uh, Please consider the fact that you're not going to go to heaven if you aren't. It's as plain and simple as that. You must believe He is the Son of God. You must be willing to confess that. You must repent of your sins and then be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins or you won't be placed into Christ. If you haven't had the opportunity to do that, or you haven't done that, we encourage you to do that this evening. Or if you have another need uh, that you need to bring before the group, please do so now while we stand and sing.
1: It's hymn number 337,
0: 337.
1: <clears throat> Is Thy Heart Right With God? <clears throat> Have
2: thine affections been nailed to the cross? Is thy heart right with God? Dost thou count all things for Jesus but loss? Is thy heart right with God? Is thy heart right with God? washed in the crimson blood cleansed and made holy humble and lowly right in the sight of god Hast thou dominion or self and or sin is thy heart right with god over all evil without and within is thy heart right with God, is thy heart right with God, washed in the crimson flood, cleansed and made holy, humble and low, right in the sight of God, are all thy powers under Jesus' control, Is thy heart right with God? Does he each moment abide in thy soul? Is thy heart right with God? Is thy heart right with God? Washed in the crimson flood, cleansed and made holy, humble and lowly, Ride right in the sight of God.
4: Good evening. Thanks, Rick. Just some reminders on upcoming activities. Uh, as soon as services are over, we'll have a deacons and elders meeting. This Friday, August 26th, there'll be a game night here at the building, and that'll be from 7 to 9 o'clock. Also, next Sunday will be uh, Potluck Sunday, so um, remember that. Also, we're in need of a teacher for the two- and three-year-olds. Oh, got it covered, so, and bye, hour? Okay, so we're good, very good, appreciate that. Uh, updates to the prayer list. Uh, just a reminder, Jerry Fry who had a couple of blockages. They actually left after services this morning and headed to Cleveland for a second opinion, and then he will be meeting with a surgeon here in Huntington on Thursday as well so, uh, just to get more information on kind of next steps. Also, uh, just remember to keep uh, Chad Judge's mom and dad, Janie and Glenn, in your prayers. There's also a, an address in the bulletin that uh, you can send an encouragement uh, card to them also, uh, just those that are continuing to take treatment, Jim Haney, Jennifer Baker has an upcoming surgery. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, just continue to keep uh, Terry Diamond family in, in our prayers. And, and, and remember our shut-ins as well. I uh, just encourage you to pick up a, a Rome journal. It has all of uh, those in our prayers listed. And... Um, with all the announcements I have. So if you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it's uh, prepared uh, in the conference room on the other side of this wall, and we'll have one more song and be dismissed in prayer.
1: Last hymn for this evening is number 746. When he comes in glory by and by. <clears> oh,
0: <throat> how sweet will be, to the in the mountain, boy,
5: Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are truly thankful for all that you do for us. We pause at the end of this day, Father, to thank you once again for uh, blessing us with the church here, for allowing us to be part of it, for uh, our place in it, uh, for where we are in the community, Father, and what we can do here uh, to help those around us. We're just thankful, Father, for your constant care and concern for each of us. There are many, Father, that we are concerned about, many struggling with with sickness, struggling with uh, grief, depression, anxiety. Each of us, Father, struggle in our own ways and we we ask for your strength and your help and your guidance and your love. Help us to be what you want us to be. Help us to reach those you want us to reach. Just help us, Father, to be more like your son each day. Guide us now as we enter this new week. Uh, help us to have a, a good week, Father. Help us to, uh, to stay strong in the faith. Help us to do what we need to do uh, to show uh, you and your love and your son to those around us. Uh, guide us now as we leave here. Uh, keep us safe. Protect us. Guide us in all we do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.